Good morning. It's good to be with you. It's good to see all of you. Uh, and and if, you're, if you're a visitor, uh, I want to especially welcome you. Uh, we, I, I grew up every Sunday afternoon going to my grandparents' house with all my aunts and uncles, cousins, and occasionally they would bring friends. Uh, and, and it was the most hospitable place. Like if you came to my grandparents' house, uh, if you, if, and you, even if you knew you weren't a part of the family, you thought you were by the end of the day. Um, this is the type of family we want to be as Park Church, a sort of place where when people come and visit, uh, they, they, have, they, they experience something unique, something different. They, they get a sense of this is a place I, I can belong. And so if, if you are new, if you're a visitor, uh, welcome. We are so glad you are here. I also wanted to just say thank you to everyone who continues to welcome us, uh, who continues to give us food. Uh, that's my love language is food. Um, and continues to reach out and to pray for us. We've felt the prayers and we are grateful. So thank you. We, we loved him. We loved him. Uh, his, his name was Kurt. And he was a youth worker for a youth outreach that I was a part of when I was a middle schooler and a high schooler. And as I've reflected on why it is that we loved him, that we loved Kurt so much, uh, several things have come to mind. Kurt, first of all, was funny. He was hilarious. And, and he was funny when, when he was trying to be, and he was funny when he was not trying to be. Often people are one of those two things. He was both. Uh, Kurt was also Canadian, and he had the accent to prove it. He spoke Italian fluently. Uh, he was enigmatic in a lot of ways. He, he had a mullet, which was probably the favorite thing about him for us high schoolers, or as he referred to it, business in the front, party in the back. Uh, no one knew his age, and he was proud of that. He was probably in his mid-40s, though. And no one knew much of his story, although he loved hearing about your story. Everyone loved Kurt. And, and as I've reflected on why, why is that? What was it about Kurt that made everyone love him? Uh, it, it, it's dawned on me that the reason why everyone loved him is because everyone mattered to him. Everyone mattered to him. If you spent any time with Kurt, you, you felt like you were the most important person in the world. And for a junior hire or a senior hire, that was everything, right? It didn't matter how many zits you had on your face, right? Whether or not your family had a bunch of money, it didn't matter what kind of grades you got, what kind of clothes you wore, it didn't matter how socially awkward you were, and most of us were. Uh, whatever your story, Kurt loved you. You mattered to him. Everyone mattered to Kurt. I think this is why we loved him. As we listen to and learn from Jesus this morning, we discover that this is what God is like. Everyone matters to God. Every single 
individual human being matters tremendously to God. Our text this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew. We're continuing through our series that we're calling Snapshots of Jesus. And it comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18. We're going to read verses 10 through 14. Uh, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up. And, and by the way, if you're a visitor, if you're new and you don't, you don't have a Bible, like, we would love to give you one. Um, they're, they're about $400. We accept cash or credit card. No, I'm joking. Uh, we would love to just give you a Bible if, if you don't have one. Uh, you can also, there are a lot of Bible apps you can open on your phone. We'll have the text on the screen as well. Um, Gospel of Matthew chapter 18, verses 10 through 14. Uh, this is God's word for God's world. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If, if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And, and if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. God's word for God's world. Will you pray with me? Father, we, we pause now. Again, grateful for so many things. Not least of all the way that you speak to us, not least of all the way that, that you, you want us to hear you. And this morning we come into this room having had a whole range of experiences this last week, some high, some low, and yet we're here right now and you are speaking to each of us right now, and we ask that you would enable us to listen. Do not let us leave this morning unchanged. We love you too, Father, and we pray in the beautiful name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of your Spirit who is here in this room right now. Amen. Is, is anyone here in this room the type of person who, when when someone tells you what to do, even if you're okay with it, even if you're like, yeah, I'll do that, you just want to know why. Like, you just, you're like, hey, that's great, but just, like, what's the rationale, right? Help me, help me understand. I'll do it. It's great, but, but help me understand. Well, Jesus, in this text, gives us a command. This is what he says. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. Now, scholars debate what exactly Jesus means when he says little ones. Uh, many scholars will say that earlier in this chapter, Jesus is speaking specifically about little children. And so the context would suggest that Jesus is talking in particular about children. Now, now the way we think about children today in our cultural context is very different than the way in the ancient world, particularly the ancient Jewish world, they thought about children. We think of children today as a 
as a prized possession, a, a blessing. And not least of all, because they're just so adorable, right? We value children. We love our children. We, we place a huge priority on our children. In the ancient world, children also were an incredible blessing, but for slightly different reasons. Uh, you see, they, they didn't have 401ks in the ancient world, and so you had children. Now, this is a bit crass and simplistic, but it's true that for most people, by having children, they were guaranteeing that they themselves would receive support in their old age, much more so than today, because the fact is that eventually there came a time when you just could not get up and keep working in the field. But if you had kids, that was your retirement plan, right? And so kids were a blessing in, in many ways and in slightly more nuanced ways than we tend to think of it today. But in that society as well, generally speaking, kids were also a nuisance. They were. They were a nuisance, and not in the ways that we think about it today. Uh, generally speaking, kids were thought of as being at the lower rung of the social classes. They were not honored. They were not high on the spectrum. They, they were a nuisance. They were a bit irritating at times, kind of on, on the level of slaves, honestly, when it comes to the social spectrum. And so, so if this is the case, when Jesus says, if he is referring specifically to children, more generally speaking, what we could say is that when Jesus says, do not despise these little ones, he's identifying a group of people whom most, most others in society would look at and say, well, they're not very important. One scholar uh, translates this verse this way. He says, watch out that you don't ever look down on even one of these least significant little people. And so, so this category of people to whom Jesus is referring, generally speaking, as those whom we in society tend to look down on, people who are easy to ignore, easy to dismiss, we could apply this in many different ways in our context today. But it's as if Jesus anticipates something when he gives this command. It's as if when he says, do not despise the least of these people. It's as if someone in the crowd says, okay, Jesus, that sounds good, but why not? Like, just, just help me understand why. And then Jesus does something fascinating. He says that the reason we're not supposed to despise or look down on others is because this is somehow what God is like. That this is somehow part of God, that God doesn't do this. And, and there are several ways in this text we see that, that everyone matters to God. Everyone matters to God. And, and the first is this. See, God loves the unlovable. God loves the unlovable. Jesus says in verse 10, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What? Like, but okay, Jesus, what does that mean? Right? That's kind of an odd, it seems like, especially for us today, an odd thing to say. 
But a couple things to mention here. First, it seems that Jesus affirms here the common Jewish belief that God, in some way, sends angels to care for, serve, and protect individuals. And this is something we see throughout the Bible, that, that angels, which is a topic we really don't know a whole lot about, angels in some way are, are assigned to people at times. And God seems to send angels to care for individuals, to serve individuals, maybe to, to relay a message to individuals. And Jesus affirms this. But there's something else we have to keep in mind here, and that is that certainly in Jesus' day, and we see this throughout the Bible, when, when one envisioned God, one could not help but be overcome by his glory. And so, so throughout the Bible, we see this, this picture of God on his throne, and oftentimes those angelic beings who are closest to him being so overwhelmed by his glory, so overcome by his majesty, which shined brighter than we can imagine, that, that these angels could not even look at his glory. One example of this is, comes from the ancient Jewish prophet Isaiah. In, in the book in the Old Testament, named after him, called Isaiah. In chapter 6, Isaiah has this breathtaking vision of God on his throne. And, and do you remember what he sees? He, he sees these magnificent angelic beings around the throne. And what are they doing? They're covering their eyes because they cannot, they cannot stand the brightness like God is so glorious, so majestic, so awesome. And not in like a, oh, dude, that's awesome, but like in a full of awe type way. Like the, the angels couldn't even look at God because he's so amazing. They have to cover their face. And it's in this context that Jesus says, these people whom we tend to think are insignificant are so important to God that the angels he sends to care for them, have unfettered access to him. They don't have to cover their face. They see the very face of God. And these are the angels whom God says, I want you to go serve that person. I want you to go take care of that person. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? Everyone matters to God. Jesus loves the unlovable. This is a bit different than the way that our hearts generally tend to work, isn't it? I, uh, I moved recently with my family. We had a big move, if you hadn't heard, cross-country. And while we were packing our boxes, I came across some of my old yearbooks. You know those yearbooks that you open it up? And uh, I'll, I'll spare some of the examples of the sorts of things people would write in there. Um, but I noticed, I pulled out one from, uh, from my, I think it was second grade, when I was in the second grade, and I, and I was just curious, and I opened it up, and I started looking through the pages, and I came to my, uh, my class, and there was this pattern that I noticed, and there were some people in my class that had a circle around them, right? Apparently, these were the people that I, that I liked. But then there was a second category of unfortunates, <laughs> 
who, uh, who had an X <laughs> through their picture. And little second grade Michael apparently felt compelled when he got his yearbook to go through and I like this person, I don't like this person, right? And uh, they tended to be a lot of girls, so that had <laughs> the excellent. It's funny, the more I, as I looked through different yearbooks, the, the higher the grades got, the less X's I had through girls' pictures. It's funny how that worked. Um, but this is like, this is a little microcosm of the human heart, isn't it? We have these criteria by which we determine who's important and who's not important. Who's worth our time and who's not worth our time. Who's lovable and who, quite frankly, is just mm, a challenge. And we all have these people in our lives. And, and yet, here we are this morning being reminded by Jesus that God loves the unlovable. God loves the unlovable. Now, I don't know who that person is for you in your life. I don't know who it is that immediately comes to mind, and for most of us, there's probably a person or two, when I just say the word unlovable. Some, someone comes to mind for you. And I'm not here this morning to say, hey, you need to love that person, right? But I am here this morning to say, quite simply, God loves that person. God loves those whom we look at and decide ah, they're unlovable. They're easy to dismiss. God loves the unlovable. But, but did you notice in this story, God also pursues the wanderer. See, everyone matters to God. And what this means, not only is that God loves the unlovable, that he, he actively pursues the wanderer. Because Jesus tells this story then in the text. Verse 12, he says, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? Jesus tells this story about a shepherd and we don't have a lot of shepherds around these days, but a shepherd had one responsibility, protect the sheep. And so Jesus tells this story that would have related to everyone. Like, what does a shepherd do when one, just one out of a hundred sheep wanders off? Well, shepherd goes after it. And, and God is saying, Jesus is saying, this is what God is like. This embodies the heart of God. God's deep, deep desire for everyone in this, in this world, let alone in this room, is that every single person would know him. And I don't mean just would know about him. I mean that every single person would know him, would come to see how loved they are by him, and in response, love trust and obey him with all of their heart. This is God's deep desire. The, the Apostle Paul puts it this way in his letter to, to Timothy. He says, God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all 
people. You see this word all appear again and again and again. God loves all people, including you and including me, and including those who wander spiritually. God loves spiritual wanderers. I read an article not too long ago by a young woman named Jessica Meisner. And this article had the most compelling title. The title is the reason why I read it. This, is, this, this article was published on an online publication, not, not incredibly friendly to Christianity, I'll put it that way. And, and the title of the article was Why I Miss Being a Born-Again Christian. I just, I was like, I have to read this. This is what she said in this article. She said, I know, I think, that Christianity isn't real. But I miss believing it was real. When I got confused in my career or hurt by a broken relationship, fellow Christians assured me that it was all part of God's plan to lead me to the right calling or the right person, something that made me calmer and more willing to take risks. Now, when things don't go the way I want, I, I cling to a vague, everything happens for a reason sentiment, or, or confront the fact that maybe life is meaningless. Sometimes, I still feel that weird void tugging across my stomach like jam spread on toast. Sometimes it's when I'm walking outside at night and a warm breeze whispers past my ears and flashes of summer nights from years past flick into my mind. I felt it on Ocean Beach in San Francisco recently as fog inched its way along the horizon and as I stared out at it, I felt a wave of something truly ineffable a surreal flutter in my soul that the world was vast and overwhelming and rich and meaningful. Is this young woman not being pursued by God? When I, when I first read this article, I had two kind of gut reactions, two thoughts. The, the first one was, I, man, I would love to just buy this young woman a cup of coffee. Like, I, I want to just sit down with her, and I want to I hear her story. I, I want to hear what, what happened that made the Christian life so untenable. Because oftentimes, the things that drive us away from the Jesus way are things that, that actually have nothing to do with, with Jesus or the life that he calls us to, but, but rather things that somehow have snuck in, that... that are in no way close to the heart and mind of God. And so I found myself, when I read this, being like, can I just ask some questions? Like, I want to learn. Help me understand. But, but beyond that, the second thing that came to mind when I first read this article was beyond a shadow of a doubt, God is pursuing this young woman. 
He's pursuing her. And, and she, I, I don't think she realizes that. She's let go of the sort of language that would have helped her make sense of that. But you can, you can sense her straining to make sense of this experience, right? She, she talks about a wave of something truly ineffable, a surreal flutter in my soul that the world was vast and overwhelming and rich and meaningful, to which I want to say, yes, yes, it is. Amen. And, and when you look at Jesus, you, you see the answer. When you look at Jesus, you find the language when you look at Jesus, you see a God who, who doesn't answer every question that we may have, and, and yet he is the answer to the most important ones. God pursues the wanderer. Some of you this morning are wandering. Some of you are here this morning and, and you, you find yourself in a place of, of wandering. Maybe, maybe you are a Christian. You are a follower of Jesus. And, and yet in some way deep in your heart, you know that, that you are off the path. Maybe you're here this morning and you are, in fact, not a Christian, not a follower of Jesus, to which I want to just emphasize how welcome you are and so glad that you are here and, and yet there's something in you that's being stirred. There's, there's something that's pulling on your heartstrings. You, you know you're a wanderer and you're headed somewhere. You just don't know where. And maybe you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus and you're not wandering, but you know someone who is. Like, wherever you find yourself this morning, please hear me that God pursues the wanderer, and even now, he's pursuing you. Would you respond to him in some way? Everyone matters to God. He, he loves the unlovable. He pursues the wanderer, and finally this morning, God also celebrates the found. He celebrates the the, frown, the, the found. Verses 13 and 14. Jesus says, referring to the shepherd and his sheep, if he finds it, if the shepherd finds his sheep, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any one of these little ones should perish. Everyone matters to God, and he celebrates the found. Now, now when, when someone is found, there's a range of possible ways one can respond. And I'll give two brief stories to illustrate this. The first is when I was in the fourth grade, and I went to a local high school basketball game with a good friend of mine and his family. Great game. I think we won. Yay, home team. Afterwards, Everyone was leaving, and, and, and we were exiting the gymnasium, and there was just a sea of people. And I had some garbage I needed to throw away, and so I broke away, threw away the garbage, turned, had no idea where my friend was or his family. And being a fourth grader, I was a bit vertically challenged, and so I could not see anything. 
And so rather than staying right where I should have been, which is generally what you should do if you're a kid and you get lost, I just started roaming and I started going every which way and could not find them. And eventually, once the gymnasium emptied a bit, I heard this loud voice. Michael, where the, <laughs> insert the, an expletive, where the have you been? It was my friend's dad. And, and while I'm sure he was relieved, because I, I can only imagine as a parent having a, your kid's friend come and you misplacing them, while I'm sure he was relieved, uh, I, all I received from him was anger. All I felt from him was rage. And as a, four, as a fourth grader, this memory is seared into my soul because I'm sure, I'm sure there was part of me that was relieved that I was found, but all I felt in that moment was shame for getting myself lost. And put a hook in my heart that to this day I still feel when I think about. There are many ways to respond when someone is found. But here's another story. About a year and a half ago, my family, we, we were living in Phoenix. And we, we went to a, what was called the Children's Business Fair. A bunch of kids starting their own businesses. They have booths. They're selling like falafels and like making little trinkets. And uh, they're trying to get us to buy their stuff. Really fun. My good buddy of mine puts this on every year. So there we are. Me and my young family. Uh, Daniel was just a baby, so he was in a stroller. And at one point, Cena and I had kind of parted ways. Uh, she went to go look at something, and, and she had Daniel in the stroller, and I, I was supposed to have Esther. Uh, you can see where this is going. Uh, and so at one point, I meet back up with Cena, and Cena's like, where's Esther? I thought she was with you. <laughs> and and we, you, know, you know that when that like sinking moment it just sinks in? No, that, that happened. And, and so we started looking. Things got a little frantic. I'm like sprinting down the aisles of the booths trying to find my daughter Esther. I'm like doing a perimeter of the whole compound and we cannot find Esther. And, and then I hear this familiar cry. And I, hearing a child of mine cry has never sounded so good in my life. And I, and I, I looked at the information booth and sure enough, there was Esther. And, and so I, I ran up to her and uh, obviously felt a huge sense of relief. But what I can say is that there was nothing in me, nothing in me that was angry. Not an ounce of me was angry. All I could do is just cling to her. Just hold her. Just embrace her. And never let go. I still haven't let go. And when she turns 48, I might be able to let go. But all, all I could do is just hold her in that moment because she was lost. But in that moment, she became found. Do you see that this is the heart of God? Do you see that when he finds someone, when someone turns and realizes that he is the one they've been looking for their whole life, that the way they've been going, the road to destruction, toward hurt relationships, toward everything that's the way it's not supposed to be, is forsaken. And someone turns to God and sees him for who he is. 
the generous forgiver of all things, who, like a loving parent, just wants to scoop us up and hold us and help us to learn why it is we were created. Like, this is what God is like. He celebrates the found. Everyone matters. Everyone matters to God. You matter to God. Some of you are here this morning and you think you are unlovable. Not, not to God. Some of you are wandering. And he's pursuing you. And some of you are found. God celebrates. Everyone matters to God. Will you pray with me? Father, you are so good. You are so different from us. And we're grateful. You are glorious, and you are holy, and you are just, and at the exact same time, you are imminent. You are close, you draw near, and you pursue us. And and it's difficult for us to understand you, but we're grateful that you've given us your son, Jesus. We're grateful that you have entered our world, entered our story, that you've taken everything bad in this world, and you've borne that burden for us on the cross. And you've created a way for us to turn to you, for us to encounter your grace, your forgiveness, for us to come home. Thank you, Father, that everyone matters to you. We love you, too. And we pray this morning in the name of your Son, Jesus, who gave everything for us on the cross. And we pray by the power of your Spirit who is here now, stirring the affections of our heart for you in new and fresh ways.